Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. So when I was in college, uh, a few friends and I decided to go on a road trip down to Florida Jumped into my friend's uh, VW Golf, a little hatchback, and set up down the coast. And we made some stops along the way to see some friends and family in D.C. and the Carolinas. And we're, we're driving through, like, North or South Carolina, and all of a sudden we hear this grinding coming out from underneath our, uh, the car. And so we, we pull off and we look, and uh, the catalytic converter had rusted through entirely. And so it was just sagging and dragging along the highway. Fortunately... This car was full of engineering students and architecture students, and so this was a job that we could handle. Uh, Unfortunately, this was the era when the world thought that duct tape could fix everything. yeah, I mean, people took it a little too seriously. This is, not, this is not our car, but this is what humans tried to do with duct tape in those days. Like, utility pole, yeah, that'll work. Uh, you know, don't have a babysitter. Duct tape's coming to the rescue. Uh, this one makes me really nervous, though. If you look out the window of your airplane and you see them fixing the engine with duct tape, get off the plane. Uh, so even though the New Jersey Institute of Technology never taught us to put undue faith in duct tape, we put undue faith in duct tape. And so we took a, a soda can, we cut it open, we wrapped the joint, you know, kind of stiffen it and brace it. You know, we're like, we're, we're thinking through this, yeah? Brace it, and then we wrapped the thing in duct tape, and we patted ourselves on the back, and we set off down the road, and about, I don't know, five minutes later, we heard a very familiar grinding sound coming from underneath the car. We pull over and we take a look and we learned something that day. Maybe you already know this, but uh, duct tape, duct tape has a melting point and it's not that high. (laughs) It's like 200 degrees, which is way lower than what the car got because we looked and it wasn't like the duct tape kind of like unraveled and failed but it was as if there was no duct tape there ever it just like evaporated out of there uh and this turned out to be a job that needed much more serious repair and it, it needed to actually be taken out and something new put in all together and we're here in this series called to hell with the hustle To Hell with the Hustle, and it was really inspired by a couple of books. Uh, One of them is actually called To Hell with the Hustle by Jefferson Bethke, and so if you, like, got the postcard or you heard about the series, and you're like, that's a really clever title. All credit goes to Jefferson Bethke. However, if you got the postcard or you heard about the series and you said, To Hell with the Hustle? That is is an offensive title. You can take it up with Jefferson Bethke. Uh, (laughs) So that was the, the one book, but the, the other book is called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Homer, and we read it a couple years ago, and this is really what kind of set off in us this, this desire to, uh, to investigate hurry sickness and hustle culture and, and see some of the problems that are just endemic to our society, and it doesn't take long for us to recognize there's something wrong with the hustle. There's something wrong with the hurry. We are all doing it. Right, you know, because you go and you ask somebody how they're doing, they say good, but they throw in the disclaimer, busy, right? How are you doing? I'm good, busy, but good, right? Busy, but good. That's how we, that's our like immediate response anymore, and it's just true. We're just busy all the time. I, I came across this, I was, read this a few weeks ago. Tom Sign in a book, he wrote, 
rushing, running, ripping around from the first bell to the final test pattern. Life for too many of us is just one frantic dash after another. Every place I go, I meet people whose lives are busier and more frenetic than ever, and they're honestly not sure what it's about anymore. Most of these good folks are serious Christians, and they're trying to do the best for their families, and they're responsible and committed to their jobs and their homes, and you'll find them faithfully serving on church boards and committees, and they're trying to do more and more, but at the same time, these people are troubled because they live virtually without any larger sense of purpose that calls them beyond themselves, and they live without that quiet center that provides direction in every new situation. I read that and it just felt so familiar. It felt familiar for myself. It felt familiar from just the stories that I hear from you guys so often, running, ripping, rushing from the first bell to the final test pattern. And there's a, there's a hint in there. It says the first bell to the final test pattern. All right, so here's what gets me. You want to know when this was written? 1987. 1987, talking about running, rushing, ripping around? Uh, this, was, this was 20 years before the iPhone and YouTube existed. And the final test pattern, anybody know what the final test pattern is that he's talking about? It's the TV. Because TV stopped having content at a certain point of the day. TV went to bed for you, all right? So you could go to bed, all right? He's talking in the 80s about this pace of people being more frenetic than ever. I don't even think he could imagine. I don't even think he could imagine what it would be like now. In fact, the book that was written in 87 was based on a series of lectures that were written in 1983. That's 40 years ago. That was... That was before I was born. <laughs> and he was talking about the hustle and the hurry getting in the way. And now, today, we're just on a different, we're on a different like, spectrum altogether. Do you know before the, the incandescent bulb was created, before there was an electric light, do you know what the average person, how many hours the average person slept? Eleven. 11, that was the average, average, which means some people were getting more than that because it got dark out and they were just like, ah, I don't know, oil's expensive, let's go to bed, let's see you when it's light out, right? 11, now we get like seven hours if we like feel like we're being self-indulgent, maybe, and then we're running, rushing, jumping along from the first bell to the, the final test pattern. And as he, he notes in that book, it, it's not just out in the world, it's as Christians as well. And I'm afraid so often our attempts to fix it, because none of us like it. We kind of bear with it, but none of us like it. And we attempt to fix it at times, and we take a vacation, we take a nap, and we do this, we do that. But so many of our fixes, they're, they're just duct tape fixes, right? And it, it holds for a moment, but as soon as we kind of get back into the swing of things, as soon as things start heating up again, we just find ourselves right back to where we started. And we're even going to talk about some strategies and some disciplines and practices that we can bring into our lives to help deal with the hustle and the hurry in our lives. We're going to talk about that in this series. But even, even taking those strategies and those practices, all right, just in, in applying them right off the bat is like a duct tape fix if we don't understand the systemic issues that are going on in our hearts. 
And so before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of practices and strategies for slowing down and rooting things out, we need to understand the systemic issues in our hearts that is fueling the hustle and fueling the hurry. And you guys, you guys might know this. Maybe you'll be surprised to hear this from your pastor. But you know, I'm assuming most of you know this already, that you can, you can draw near to Jesus, sincerely draw near to Jesus, and serve him diligently and faithfully and still be just as hurried and hustled as anybody else in the world. It's possible. In fact, in fact, as Christians, we might be even more hurried and hustled because we're doing everything else everybody else is doing and we're adding the Jesus hustle to it. And so we are hustling and hurrying and we're going to look at a story today of somebody who wanted to draw near to Jesus. They were drawing near to Jesus. They were serving him diligently. And instead of it leading to peace, instead of it leading to the light and easy yoke that Robert talked about last week, it was leading to hustle and hurry. We're in Luke chapter, chapter 10. It's a, a story that some of you might be familiar with, but it says, while they were traveling, this is Jesus and his disciples, while they were traveling, he, Jesus, entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. So Mar- here's Martha. She's taking the initiative to say, Jesus, come into my home. Come. I want to be with you. I want to be near you. She had a sister named Mary who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. Can you say many tasks? Many tasks. And she came up and she asked the Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. Can you say many things? Many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice, and it will not be taken from her. I just want to observe a few things about this story because I I think it can shed some light on the problem of hurry and hustle and, and the systemic issues that are fueling it in our hearts. And the first thing I want to point out is just Martha's exasperation and the problem with it. Because for some of us, we may be sitting here and thinking like, oh, you know, people whining about the hustle and the hurry. That's just weakness. Just like get over it. Put on your big boy pants. Stop crying. Get back to work. Like life's hard. Just grind through it, right? And there's a little bit of me that like, that's my background. I'm just like, just stop crying. Get over it. Get back to work. Hustle through it. And it just seems like weakness. But, but there's a problem with the hurry and the hustle. And we see it here in Martha that it just wreaks havoc on her relationships, her relationship with her sister, her relationship with Jesus. Look look at what happens. So immediately she calls to Jesus and she just throws her sister under the bus. It's like, Lord, look at my sister. She's not helping me. Right? So now her sister, who she loves, you know, they're, they're family, they love each other. But now her sister is not her sister who she loves. She's the problem that's fueling her hustle and hurry. And there's this tension in the relationship. And this feels too real for me because, uh, well, because I have kids. <laughs> and I love my kids so much. And I, I genuinely, I just, I take so much joy and delight in them about 23 hours a day. <laughs> uh, but there's one hour where there's not as much joy and delight in my children. Any idea what hour that is? That's the hour when I'm getting them ready in the morning to get out of the house. Because Simon is crawling around and finding everything that he can choke on to put in his mouth. And Kara will want to do anything but brush her teeth. I'm not 
pulling her teeth. I'm just asking her to brush her, just brush your teeth. Uh, and she'll do anything but that. And so, of course, I'm trying to, to hustle and I'm hurry and I'm try, constantly trying to like corral them out the door in that, that spirit of hustle and hurry. In that moment, my kids are no longer the, the, the kids that I adore and that I delight in. They're the problem, right? They're the problem that needs to get fixed. And they feel it. They know it. The people in your life, if you're a hustler, if you're hurried, they know it. They know when they're the problem. They know when they're getting in the way of your hustle and your hurry. That comes out. It leaks out. Right? And so this happens with Martha, but it doesn't impact only her relationship with her sister. It impacts her relationship with Jesus because she actually starts to question whether Jesus even cares about her. Lord, don't you care? I'm over here. I'm hustling. I'm doing all the right stuff. Don't you even care? And then she starts barking orders at Jesus. Right? So tell her. Right? It's always, it's always a bad sign when we start ordering Jesus around, by the way. Like, that should just cause us to... Uh, but of course, we get into these places where, where we're hustling, we're hurrying, and things aren't going the way that we want. And we, so we do start telling Jesus, Jesus, why aren't, don't you care? Don't you just, can't you just do this? Can't you just make my boss ease up on me a little bit? Like, can't you just bring a little relief to this debt in my life? Can't you just make my newborn sleep just one night? right? We start barking orders at Jesus, and when he doesn't do what we want, it just causes us to feel like, don't you care? Don't you care? And it creates this tension in our relationship with Jesus. See, hurry and hustle, it is the enemy. It is the enemy to relationship. It is the enemy to love, and it wreaks havoc on our relationships with others and our relationship with Jesus. So it's a problem. Even if you feel like you can handle it, like you're okay with the hustle, I promise you the other people in your life are not okay with your hustle and your hurry. It was that way for Martha. So we see her exasperation, but then we see Jesus' surprisingly offensive response. It is both surprising and offensive, which is classic Jesus. Like if you read through the Gospels, he, he loves this. Surprising and offensive. I say surprising because Martha didn't see it coming. Like when she asked Jesus for help, she fully expected that Jesus would be like, oh yeah, of course, Mary, get up off your lazy butt and help your sister. Go into the kitchen and do, do some work. She totally expected that. She was completely surprised when Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but, but only one thing is necessary. And calls attention to Martha. He actually critiques her instead of critiquing Mary. And Martha was shocked by this. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if while Mary was sitting there and Martha was running around, if there were others in the room who were also kind of giving Mary the stink eye, be like, Mary, don't you see? Like, you're hosting Jesus right now. Why are you sitting on your butt? Like, get to work. Because these, these expectations that Martha had, these weren't self-imposed. If it was self-imposed, it's not a big deal, right? You, you, you know when somebody has self-imposed expectations because they're the only one running around and you see it and they're like, they're frantic and they're worried about all these things and everybody else is just like, chill, relax. But that's not what Martha's doing right now. Martha is doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing for a first century woman in Palestine hosting a dinner party. She's doing exactly what she was do, supposed to be doing because these aren't self, these many things that she's worried and upset about, these many things that are on her plate that she's running around for, these many tasks that were distracting her, these weren't self-imposed, they were culturally mediated. 
right? And this is, this is really important because if it's self-imposed, it's a little easier to recognize like, oh, I'm just putting this on myself. But when it's culturally mediated, it just seems normal. It just seems like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And when you're not doing it, right, when you're not living up to the culturally mediated expectations, then people assume you are shirking your responsibility, like what happened to Mary, right? Martha assumed that Mary was being irresponsible and lazy because she wasn't living up to the culturally mediated many things. And there are many, many things that are culturally mediated to you, to me, that it's just the air we breathe, the things that we're told are normal, many things that we're told are weighty things. Mary, Martha was shocked that Jesus didn't agree. And it wasn't simply surprising, but it was also offensive because look what he says. Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary all right, so if you kind of reverse engineer this, Jesus is saying, Mary, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many. Oh, you care so much about these things. I only care about this one thing, which means all these many things that you deeply, deeply care about, I just don't care about. He doesn't say it, but he does, <laughs> right? Martha, you're so concerned about these things, and I just, I don't really find them that important. I'm sorry, which is kind of offensive. The picture in my mind is like a, an adult talking to a teenager. Because remember when you were a teenager? Uh, I know you guys can probably remember when you were teenagers. Uh, and no, this, this doesn't apply to you. You guys have better perspective. But when we were teenagers, there were things in our lives that we thought meant everything. Right? It seems so important. We thought it was like life or death situations. We thought, you know, this decision or this event is going to change the trajectory. We thought it meant the world and it caused so much worry and anxiety and pressure and all of that. And then, like 10 years later, you, you hardly even remember it, right? Right? And so you have an adult talking to a teenager sometimes, and, and the teenager might have something that they feel like, and not you guys, not you guys, you have better person, but other teenagers, they have these things that they feel like are, oh, they're just so important, they're so weighty, and the adult is just like, ah, I care about you, but I don't really care about the thing that you care about. <laughs> like, I care about you, but I don't, I don't actually care how many views your video got on TikTok. Like, I genuinely don't care. I care about you. I don't care how many views your video got on TikTok. And, and not only that, but you don't even want to pretend to care. Like, you don't want to pretend like, oh, I, I care how many. You don't want to even like give that impression because you don't want them to care. Because you know it's not helpful or healthy for them to care how many views their video got on TikTok. I know that you guys don't care, but other teenagers uh, care. And so you don't even want to. So here's Jesus. He doesn't care. <laughs> And he doesn't even want to pretend to care about the many things that Martha thinks are so weighty and so important. He's saying, Martha, Martha, these many things, these many things, you're just giving unnecessary weight to them. Unnecessary weight. I want to uh, invite Steve up because Steve is going to come and bear uh, the yoke this week. But last week, Robert introduced us to the yoke. And there's this invitation from Jesus to take up the, the light burden and the easy yoke. And Robert talked last week that we're all carrying a yoke. It's not just taking up Jesus' yoke. It's actually taking off the yoke that we're carrying in the world, and it's putting on Jesus' yoke, which is light and easy. And last week, he talked about how the, one of the ways that hell kind of reaches in and yanks down on the yoke is by just bringing a, a taste of death, 
into everything in our lives, that, that the curse of sin brings just a taste of death. But there's another way that hell kind of reaches in and adds weight to our yoke. Because in, in life, there are things that we genuinely need to carry, right? We can't, there, there are things that we actually need to carry. So here's Martha, and she's, she has a dinner party. Like, that's a thing, okay? And, you know, we have, we have to eat food, we have to fill our stomach and we need a place to live, right? Like we need shelter and uh, we need clothes on our bodies and we, we need to have people in our lives and we might have people that we need to support in our lives and we have responsibilities to like other family members and we have jobs that we need to go and do to work and put food on the table. And like, these are things that we genuinely need to carry. And it, it's light. They're momentary things, right? Not a big deal. What happens is hell comes along and infuses these light things with an unnecessary weight. So here's Martha, and it's, it's, it's a lunch. It's a lunch party. All you need to do is open your home and fill Jesus' stomach. Like, that's all Jesus is concerned about. It's a light thing, but no, 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 no. This isn't lunch. This is lunch for Jesus and his disciples. Like, this, this is a weighty thing right? And so it's not just about filling their stomachs. Like, the food needs to be good. The food needs to be perfect. <laughs> I chose Steve for a reason. <clears throat> and the house, the house needs to be clean, right? It can't be a messy house. And the timing of everything, the food needs to come out right on time. And the mess needs to get cleaned up right away. And now, this... This light thing, just fill his stomach, is so weighty. But this happens with, with so much in our, our lives where, you know, house, home, shelter isn't just a roof over our head. No, 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 no. This is, this is the right home. And it needs to be, of course, in the right school district, <laughs> which means our job Oh, it can't just be about putting food on the table. No, no, no. It needs to make a certain amount of money, right? It needs to make a certain amount of money. Not only that, but our job, we don't have jobs anymore. We have careers. Ooh, did you know that a, the career is a modern invention? Didn't exist 200 years ago. Careers now. This is instead of just, you know, being a job to go and feed your family. No, 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 no. This needs to bear the weight of our identity and our, our purpose, and that home that you bought, oh, better be clean when people come over. <laughs> Got to get that laundry away. All of these little things, they mean so much, and they're infused with so much weight. Money, money gets infused with so much weight. You know how, you know how weighty money was to Jesus? Do you know who Jesus put in charge of the money bag? Judas! <laughs> Judas, because that's how weighty Jesus thought money was. But for us, money, it's so weighty. It's so important. Oh, man, that 401K. I didn't even get to the cinder blocks yet. No. 
that 401k that's going to provide our future security, all of that. Like Jesus literally told a story about a guy who stored up a bunch of money in barns and then died before he got to use it. Not because a 401k is bad, I have one or something like it. Uh, like it's fine, but, but the weight that gets put into it, and you guys are carrying this weight. And that's just the beginning. <clears throat> <laughs> he's carrying this weight. And this is just scratching the surface because everything, many things get infused with this meaning and significance where it's not simply bearing the weight of that thing anymore. Now it's, it's bringing our identity, our security, our joy, all of that. Because there's this lie that the world tells us. The lie is that what you are achieving defines you. That's who you are, right? And Jesus comes in and says, I actually don't care. I don't care. I think, all right, bear with me, because I, I just want to remind you, this was offensive to Martha, and I think it, it might be even a little offensive to us, that when Jesus came along and he told Martha, you're worried about these many things that I'm not concerned about, like that was, she took it personal, like she does care about these things. But I actually, if you were to imagine you lost your house, uh, you lost your job, you had to get a job that doesn't pay you nearly what you're worth, and you, you lost the house, and you had to move into a, a small apartment, you with your kids maybe, if you have kids, move into this small apartment, it's kind of cramped. And it's in like a bad neighborhood, and the schools really are just not that good. And, uh, and every Christmas from here on out is just kind of lame. And every vacation from here on out is a staycation, because that's what you can afford. If, if that happened to you tomorrow, I don't think Jesus cares. I, and he does, but not, I don't think he cares in the way that we care. For starters, what I just described is how most of humans have lived throughout human history, right? So it's not like something radical. It feels radical to us. But all these things that we, we would feel like, if that happened to me, if I had to do that with my family, I would feel like a failure. Like even beyond just the, the material experience of it, which would be hard by our standards, even beyond the material experience of it, there's that, that deeper sort of feeling of like, oh, I failed. I failed. Because these things aren't just bearing the weight of what they are. They're bearing the weight of our souls. And we're carrying this around and we hustle and we hustle and we hustle. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Let's take off that yoke. <laughs> you can put it down. Whew. Thank you, Steve. <clears throat> this, is, this is unnecessary weight that we are carrying around. And Jesus says, you don't have to. You don't have to. But it's so hard because it just balloons by itself. And you know this, right? The more you care about things, the more things there are to care about. It just, it adds to it. A couple years ago, Lindsay and I, our car broke down, so we needed to get a new car, and we test drove a bunch of different ones. We turned out, turns out we liked the car that we had, so we got the same thing, just a slightly newer version, just still older, but we test drove two of them, all right, Subaru Forester. We test drove two of them, and one was, you know, a little newer, 
and had no bells and whistles. And one was a little older, had a few more miles, and had all the bells and whistles. And we test drove that one first. 2015, leather seats, heated seats. We test drove that one. We got back. We got in the other one, put it into drive, and I never took my foot off the brake. Like, I just put it right back in the park. I'm like, we're not going to take this one over the other one. Like, the other one has leather seats and heated seats, and my butt gets warm in the wintertime and all of that. Like, why would I take this one? And the other one's even a little bit cheaper. So it has a few more miles, a few more. We'll, we'll take that one. So we make this decision, and we felt like, oh, this is, it's even financially sound because it's a little bit cheaper than the other one. So we, we get that one. But then as we're, we're uh, like, going through all the paperwork and buying the car, the salesman says, so um, there's uh, this insurance you can get on the leather seats that uh, you can actually insure them for five years for a small fee. And I'm like, oh, man, that sounds, that sounds like a reasonable investment because the leather seats, like, if they get damaged, it's just, you know. Guys, this was not something I was worried about with fabric seats. Like, insuring my seats? This was a new worry that just snuck into my life. And guess who bought the insurance? On the leather seats, which then pushed this car up to the same price as the other car uh, because I'm a fool. But you know, you know, as we, like, care about these things, all of a sudden there's something more to care about. There's other details, and we just learn more things to care about. And there's more weight. And the weight of it isn't simply the thing in itself anymore. It's carrying the weight of our identity and our personhood because there's this lie that tells us, hey, what you do, that's, that's what defines you. What you accomplish, that's who you are. That's the measure of a man. That's the measure of a woman. It's a lie that comes from the pit of hell and it yanks down on this yoke. Jesus says, no, no, no. No, let's, let's throw that off. So what's weighty to Jesus? He says one thing. Martha, you're worried upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice. Mary chose the one thing. She chose the weighty thing, and get this, it will not be taken away from her. I love this promise. Jesus, if you make the right choice, Jesus says he's not going to take that away from you. If you pour yourself into the truly weighty things, he's going to, he's going to protect that ground for you. It's not going to be taken away from you. So what was the right choice? It says that Mary sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to him. Now, this, this is an important term, sat at the Lord's feet. This is a, a, a euphemism for discipleship. So like a disciple was somebody who sat at the foot of somebody else, all right? So when it talks about her sitting at the Lord's feet, it's not just simply in that moment she was sitting at the Lord's feet. It was saying that she was in, in the position of being a disciple of Jesus, which wasn't simply about being a learner. It wasn't simply about being a student. It was about being an apprentice, all right? So a disciple isn't simply a student. It's an apprentice, meaning that the goal of sitting at someone's feet whether it was a rabbi or is this person or that person, sitting at anyone's feet was about becoming like them. All right, because Jesus, Jesus doesn't really care so much about what you achieve, but he does care about who you're becoming. He doesn't care about what you achieve. The best thing you're going to achieve in this world, the most impressive things that you're going to achieve in this world, you're going to achieve because of him, through him. He's not impressed with your achievements, but he's very interested in who you are becoming. And here's, here's the, the scary thing, okay? It's true that what you do does not define you, but what you do, it's shaping you. So the things that you're pouring yourself into, the many things 
the many things, the many tasks that Martha was doing, the many things that she was worried and upset about, they didn't define her, but they were shaping her. They were turning her into someone. And Jesus is very interested on who you're becoming, not what you're achieving. So we need to take a close look. What are the things that we're doing and how are they shaping? Who are they shaping us into? Are they shaping us into the image of Jesus? And that's kind of like a nebulous thing. What does it look like to look like Jesus? But, but here's a, a great way to think about it. In Galatians, we're told that there's, there's fruit that comes out of the spirit of Jesus in us. Called fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So here's the question I have for you. Are your many tasks and the many things that worry you and upset you, is it producing this kind of fruit in you? Is it producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is this the fruit of your hustle? then maybe some of these many tasks and these many things that we are worrying about and getting upset about, maybe these aren't weighty to Jesus. Maybe some of these things we can, we can let go of, we can give less weight to, we can just abandon altogether, maybe hold with a looser grip. Because Jesus isn't, isn't that concerned with what you're achieving, but he's deeply concerned about who you're becoming and what are the things that you're doing? Who are they shaping you into? Is this the kind of person they're shaping you into? And, and here's what I want you to do. Uh, because if, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to get into practices and disciplines and all of that. But if we don't understand what the many tasks that we're doing and the many things we're worried and upset about, right? This is what makes up the hustle. The many tasks and the many things that we're worried and upset about. That's our hustle, all right? That's defining our hustle. If we don't understand those things, then we're not gonna be able to make any serious fixes. We're just gonna be putting duct tape on it. And we're just gonna keep finding ourselves right back in the same hustle and hurry. So what I want you to do is I want you to pull out your phone. Please. And uh, if you have a notes app, maybe open up a Google Doc or something, somewhere where you can just take notes, all right? Like, you know, just pull out. Uh, you can do it right now. It's okay. The lights are bright in here, but I can actually still see you. So you can pull out your phone. And I want you to, to put two headings there, because this week I want you to compile two lists. One list of the many tasks that distract you, and one of the many things that worry and upset you. And I, I just want you to take note of them as they happen. Some things, you know, you could just kind of sit down and take a couple of minutes and list out. You just know. But other things, you know, as you're doing them, you're like, oh, yeah, I do that too. That's something else that eats into my time. That's something else that distracts me. That's some, another task that's on my plate. Or, or things that worry you. Oh, you know, I didn't, didn't realize I was worrying about this. Or, or the things that upset you, this is a key one. What are the things that upset you, that get you riled up? Because the things that upset you shows the things that you are giving a significant weight to. We get upset when weighty things are tampered with, all right? And so I want you to create these two lists, all right? And on Friday or Saturday, at the end of the week, I'm gonna hold you to this. At the end of the week, I want you to take 10 minutes, no more, just 10 minutes to just look over those lists and ask the question, what are these things shaping me and who are these things shaping me into? And am I giving proper weight to these worries, these upsetting things, these tasks, or am I infusing them with unnecessary weight? Because we, 
We can't deal with the hustle and the hurry until we come to terms with the weight, the weight that we're giving the many things and the many tasks in our lives. But when we do, when we do understand these things properly and we do understand, oh, this, this is light and momentary. It's like a, a weight is lifted. I was talking to a friend, Ben. Uh, he's a, a family friend. I've known him my whole life, or he's known me my whole life. Uh, he was actually in my parents' youth group when they were youth leaders back in the day, and then he was in their college and career group, and then just became a friend. And so he's been a friend. Uh, he and his wife, Linda, have been friends with my family for, like, forever. Like, when he got married, my dad actually hosted the, the bachelor party for him at our house. Uh, I grew up upstate in the country, uh, and there was a cow farm across the street, uh, which is what happens when you grow up in the country. And a cow broke out uh, during the, like, the bachelor party. And so, which didn't happen. This is like the only time in my life this happened. This was not a normal occurrence, all right? Please don't color all of the Hudson Valley like this. But a cow broke free, and so they, they start to, like, they actually got it, put a rope around and started leading it and there's like a long driveway back down to the farm and something spooked the cow and uh, it took off and Ben's foot got caught and he got dragged down the driveway of it and so the night before his wedding my mom was like picking gravel out of his butt with tweezers that's the kind of like family friend that Ben (laughs) is uh, in our our lives but Ben uh, he grew up in the church he grew up a Christian he and his wife like always involved he played in the you know the worship band all of that but he was always just a harsh man the fruit of the Spirit, not, not so present in his life. Uh, he knew Jesus. He served Jesus. He was close to Jesus, but he was hurried and hustled a lot. And he had a hard job. He was a corrections officer in a prison. And like, so it's, it's an intense job, and it shaped him a lot. And, but he, he held out to this, this one dream, this one dream. And man, it held all the weight for him that he was going to retire early and move to Florida. <laughs> He talked about it all the time, and he saved his money for it. And his wife uh, actually would retire two years after him, so he would tell his wife, that's great, you can come visit me on the weekends uh, uh, until you retire too. But it held so much. It was this, the weightiest dream in the world for him. And he'd be hurt, he hustled, he hustled, and he hustled. And then on April, April 19th, 2019, he got to retire. And on April 26th, 2019, he had a massive heart attack. And it should have killed him, but it didn't. <laughs> it didn't. He goes in a couple days later for surgery and realizes that he has spent his life hustling, infusing all of these things with so much weight, and it crushed his heart to the point where it should have killed him. And he, in that moment, said, God, I surrender. I'm going I'm to take this yoke off. I surrender. And he had his surgery, and he came out, and he's healthy. He had a checkup, like, recently, and the doctor's like, your heart is healthier than it was before. You're a new man. It's like you have a new heart. And he's like, I have a new heart. And he retired, and instead of going down to Florida, he went to seminary. And he, uh, he's, like, actually preaching right now at a church in Wappingers Falls. Ben, the corrections officer, this harsh man, but this man who had none of the fruit of the Spirit, and he would self, like, he would, he would say, he'd be the first person to say there was no gentleness, there was no love, there was no peace in his life as he was hustling under the weight of this, and the, the weight of this dream to retire and go to Florida and, you know, do what, he was just, oh, crushed him, and now he's surrendered to God, and he said, he said to me this week, I talked to him the other day, he said, Trevor, it's like, 
It's like the weight has been lifted. I just feel lighter. I just feel lighter. And Jesus is not going to take that away from him. It's my hope and my prayer that you take this charge seriously because you are under the weight that is unnecessary weight. And if we let it go, we surrender to Jesus, Jesus says, it will not, that decision will not be taken away from you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of the light burden and the easy yoke. You're the God who cares about us so deeply. But you won't pretend to care about the things we care about, God, because you see the way that they're crushing us. And I pray, Father, that we would learn to discern between the weighty things and the light and momentary things and that we would not give undue weight to these things, that we wouldn't hustle and hurry under the the pressure and the crushing burden of these things any longer. We'd surrender them to, to Jesus. Surrender to his love. Trust him. Father, to take up that that easy yoke, that light burden. That we would experience joy in your presence, Father, and that you would be glorified increasingly in our lives. We love you, we praise you, in Jesus' name, amen. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.